Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. There's more controversy over the Minlar system that has caused problems for thousands of Minnesotans trying to get vehicle titles and licenses. This time, the legislative auditor says when there was a possible data breach recently, he wasn't notified as required by law. And he says for the first time in his 35-year career, he had to subpoena a state agency to get answers. The legislature um, directed us to conduct these quarterly reports. It started out as a routine meeting where the legislative auditor's office was providing a routine report about the performance of MINLARS, the Minnesota Licensing and Registration System. The auditor's office told lawmakers there have been instances where MINLARS and public safety officials haven't provided information in a timely manner. Said there have been some pieces of information that we have struggled to receive, and we are working through that now. That quickly drew fire from lawmakers. It should be noted for anyone from MINLARS that if you're refusing to provide the legislative auditor information, then you are also refusing to provide information to the legislature. And we are the body that funds Minlars. It got worse when the legislative auditor himself stepped up to testify. I sought information about a potential data breach, was not given that information, and I ended up sending a subpoena to the department. Noble says it was the first time in 35 years he had to subpoena a state agency to get information. The information he was after was about the inadvertent release of private data of vehicle owners to three companies that deal in bulk data. Late last month, DPS notified about 1,500 vehicle owners in Minnesota information they wanted kept private was released. There's a possible data breach. How important is it for you to get information in a timely manner? It's by law, it's supposed to be reported to me in a timely manner, and it was not. A DPS spokesman says a letter went out to those Minnesotans who were affected in late December saying they don't believe any information was used unlawfully. A much more expansive report on problems with the Minlar system will be released later this month. If there was any doubt that legalizing recreational marijuana would be controversial at the state capitol, This news conference should erase those doubts. Both the pro and anti-marijuana sides scheduled news conferences this week to stake out their positions. So far, there are no new marijuana bills filed or hearings set. But the first news conference on Wednesday quickly escalated into a shouting match. We don't make these things up. There Opponents of legalizing recreational marijuana were immediately put on the defensive at their own news conference. Marijuana use is a big part of the crime problem in our state and across our nation. Supporters of legalizing marijuana didn't like what Dakota County Attorney Jim Backstrom had to say and openly mocked the Dakota County Sheriff. And I think we have a really good medical marijuana program in Minnesota, so we, we can work through that. Wow. Wow. I, interesting. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, please, 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 I'm just trying to express my opinion here, okay? But time and again, marijuana supporters interrupted.
microphone with all these damn liars. There are police officers everywhere. Are you kidding me? This is not a free state. It should be decriminalized. We should ruin our garden. I'd like to... At their own news conference a few hours later, Supporters of legalization said they just have a lot of passion. I mean, it, it'll probably rub people who are against it the wrong way. I didn't expect it to, to be that explosive, but there's a lot of feelings behind this because people are losing their freedom and people are losing lives over this. Governor Walls says he supports legalization of recreational marijuana, but Republican Senate leaders do not. It's likely a bill will be introduced this session, but legislators and the governor say passage is unlikely this year. Governor Walls unveiled his administration's plan to minimize the impact of the partial federal government shutdown here in Minnesota. The state receives a billion dollars a month from the federal government to pay for things like transportation projects, veterans programs, Medicaid, and food stamps. 3,000 state workers also get paid partially with federal money. State leaders from both parties urge Congress and the president to end the shutdown. Fulfill your responsibilities. Make sure that we are reimbursed. And, and again, my final message was is end this damn thing. Um, get, a, get a compromise and move on. So. When we agree with each other, we should show Minnesotans uh, that we agree. And, and when, when Washington is in a disagreement, uh, I think showing the, sti the stability of our state government to Minnesota is important. Right now, the state is paying for many federal programs with the expectation the money will be paid back by the federal government. But if the shutdown continues beyond mid-February, that will become increasingly difficult. So far, no state workers have been laid off because of the shutdown. Lawmakers are preparing for what will likely be a big legislative battle over the health care provider tax. It's a 2% tax on a variety of medical appointments and procedures. It brings in about $600 million per year and helps pay for health care programs, largely for low-income people. A law passed in 2011 calls for the tax to blink off at the end of 2019, but Democrats favor extending it and Republicans strongly oppose. Putting back in place the provider tax would be a 2% increase on the cost of every health care procedure and every dental procedure in the state of Minnesota. That's exactly the wrong approach. We were uh, in full agreement with the signs that were up on the wall and on the podium. We do need to lower health care costs. And um, uh, we are going to do it with math, not with magic. Governor Walls favors extending the tax. Otherwise, he says thousands of low-income Minnesotans would lose access to health care. A pair of bills have been introduced that aim to cut down on distracted driving. People who've lost loved ones to distracted drivers are calling the issue an epidemic. If you have not been touched by it in this room, you are very fortunate. And I pray that you do not have to go through what I have gone through this last year. One bill would increase overall penalties for distracted driving, make penalties in serious or deadly crashes similar to driving under the influence of alcohol, and create required distracted driving courses in driver's ed. Another bill that would require hands-free only cell phone use is getting another chance at the Capitol. It received bipartisan support last session, but leaders in both chambers failed to bring it up for a final vote. Over the next few months, we'll be introducing you to some of the new commissioners leading state agencies. This week, our Jessica Miles interviewed the newly appointed education commissioner, Mary Catherine Ricker, to talk about her plans for the future.
I knew I wanted to be a, a teacher, and so I prepared to actually be an, an English and a math teacher. The state's top educator is from Hibbing. She worked with students in St. Cloud, South Korea, and St. Paul. I prepared to actually be an, an English and a math teacher. After several years in middle school classrooms, Mary Catherine Rickert was elected president of the St. Paul Teachers Union. She stayed in the union and moved to a national role. Some critics say because of that, she's been more focused on adults in education versus students. Being elected uh, to union positions, I was still working on behalf of high quality teaching and learning conditions in our public schools. She's been in her new role for 10 days. It's been one part excitement and anticipation for uh, building on some really solid progress that's already been made. And it's been, a, you know, another part shining a light on areas of invisibility that still exist. One of her priorities deals with the development of the whole student. There is a greater recognition that our students deserve to have their whole selves supported. So absolutely their intellectual selves and their social and emotional selves. And the life they have outside the classroom matters as well. I talked with the commissioner about funding education, the teacher shortage, and safety here in our schools. Her thoughts on those important topics tonight at 6. In St. Paul, Jessica Miles, 5 Eyewitness News. And Ricker told Jessica that she will start visiting schools around the state later this week. Her first stop will be in Hibbing. As you heard, that's where she grew up. Up next, we sit down with the new commissioner tasked with overseeing Minnesota's prison system. The one thing he says needs to be improved right away. Plus, Darren Broughton and Kurt Zellers will join me for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. The new Department of Corrections commissioner says safety is his top priority. This comes on the heels of a spike in assaults on corrections officers, including Joseph Gom, who was the first to be killed in the line of duty last July. Brett Hoffland got a rare look inside the Stillwater prison where that happened and explains what top officials say needs to change. Not many people ever see what happens inside Minnesota prisons. These are really difficult environments. There's always a strict schedule to keep for the nearly 1,600 offenders and 500 staff members at the Stillwater Correctional Facility. Meeting the staff has been incredible. With less than two weeks on the job, new Department of Corrections Commissioner Paul Schnell tells me he's already aware of a problem that needs to be tightened up. We need to make sure we have safety and security stuff addressed. Last October, Officer Joseph Gom was killed when he was attacked by an inmate. I'm told the area where he died is still closed. Today, there are tributes to GOM around the Stillwater facility, but in the months that followed, some staff across the state refused to work, citing safety concerns. To be able to do all the programming we do here at Stillwater, we have to have the security and safety to do so. One of the biggest challenges statewide is staffing and needing to fill dozens of positions. So the DOC is trying to figure out ways to recruit. Certainly we still have vacancies somewhere we run at any given time somewhere between 30 and 70 um, below, which obviously has big impact. That's why Commissioner Schnell is looking at everything, including investments in technology, starting wages for staff, and how to retain them. People don't know that these are good jobs, and these people can make a difference here. The improvements will also trickle down to inmates with more opportunities to learn and plan a future after prison. When people have purpose, that, that affects uh, their entire view. 
Some staff with decades of experience tell me working here is all about respect, and they're hopeful addressing some of these issues will give them some added peace of mind. And a good shift is always when the same people walk out. In Stillwater, Brett Hoffland, 5 Witness News. Lawmakers are working on legislation that would add hundreds of additional officers for all 10 Minnesota prisons over the next four years. It's called the Joseph Gomm Bill. Well, joining me now for political analysis, we have Kurt Zellers, former House Speaker and Democratic uh, strategist. Darren Broughton, thank you both for being here. It was a, a fascinating week at the state capitol. You know, there's a lot of issues that are bubbling to the surface as we wait for the next budget forecast and the budget proposal from uh, Governor Walls. Uh, but this prisons thing is one of those issues where maybe six months or a year ago was not on the, the front burner, but it certainly is now because of these assaults at prisons. But hundreds of officers, that's expensive. Well, and you look at it from a workforce standpoint. I mean, you live all across Minnesota, whether it's greater Minnesota, the suburbs, the, the inner city, workforce is, shortage is an issue. So it's not just the safety of the workers there. It's going to be going out there and, and finding people in the workforce. And it's a challenge all over the state. It really is. And this, especially, like you said, it's, a, it's an expensive price tag. But at the end of the day, you have to keep those people safe. Yeah, and Darren, it's, it's a two-pronged problem. One, finding the money to hire uh, however X number of corrections officers you want to hire, but then finding the people to actually take those jobs. It is a huge obstacle. The dollars is probably easier to find than actual yeah. people. Uh, and it's not just filling the positions at the corrections uh, facilities. We have problems at local sheriffs and uh, local police departments all across the state. They're unable to find people to, for those jobs. Now, one issue that uh, has been around for uh, at least a year or two now is the Minlars uh, issue. And, and this week, kind of an interesting twist on that. The legislative auditor says when there was a, a possible data breach, and this was not a hacker that got in, it was actually uh, DPS and Minlars inadvertently releasing some private information. He said he had to issue a subpoena to actually get at that information. How clearly it's unusual, first time he said he's had to right. do it in 35 years, but how would you explain that? Well, and I think the bigger problem, the, I mean, the, the, the subpoenas process, right? The bigger problem is we've got a government agency releasing private data, and this isn't the first time in Minnesota. Uh, I hate to sound like the Republican on the panel, but <laughs> God dang it, you can't keep giving people's private information away. We, t you know, the reason why Republicans advocate for privatization of things is because government hasn't proven that they're capable of keeping your private data private. We've now had two dams and a dang it on this show. <laughs> this is, we might have to move to late night before too long. Uh, it is interesting. It's, you, you don't know whether were they trying to hide something. Certainly the legislative auditor was frustrated enough he felt he had to issue a subpoena. No. Public information or information or data security is a huge issue, uh, and you're right. The government has not done well protecting it, but then again, neither is corporate America. So we all need to do better at providing those safeguards about people's personal data, whether it's government or corporations or anyone else. Now you saw the story a few minutes ago about the recreational marijuana news conference. It started as a news conference with. A, a a respected uh, Dakota County prosecutor, the sheriff, and others who are against legalizing recreational marijuana and the news conference turned into a fiasco, as you saw. They were, the other side was making some legitimate points, but the way they went about it, and Darren, you deal with this a lot, the optics of that are not good for their cause, even if their points might be valid ones. It was a horrible, horrible display. Uh, as someone who tries to help people manage their public perception, uh, 
you may have the best points, but if having those episodes and being in front of camera and basically being disrespectful to law enforcement, uh, being disrespectful to opponents, this is where we are today as a country or as a society that we can't find ways to express our differences in a much more professional way and figure out how to move forward. I've been covering the Capitol for more than 20 years. This is not something you saw happening even 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I remember my, some of my first press conferences, the opponents would stand in the back, listen, wait for everybody to walk out of the room, then come up and make their points. And if you want to be taken serious, and this is one of the, probably the digs on the, on the folks on the other side, is that you're not taken serious because you're not really a serious group. You know, when you scream at people and yell at them and call them liars while they're just trying to give their side of the argument, you're totally tearing away your own credibility. And no one at the Capitol is then going to take you serious. Even when the pro-recreation side, uh, recreational marijuana side, might have some valid points, right. it all gets lost in the fiasco that ensued there. And I think... Uh, We'll, we'll see where it goes. So far, no bills have even been introduced. No hearings have been set. But it looks unlikely that anything will happen uh, this year on that. Uh, Darren and Kurt, thanks for being here. Up next, Catherine Tanucci and Brian McClung will be here for Face Off. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back. Time now for Face Off. We have uh, dueling former gubernatorial staffers, uh, Catherine Tanucci, Brian McClung. You worked for Mark Dayton. You worked for Tim Pawlenty. Uh, I think both of you went through government shutdowns, didn't you? Correct. We did. Yes. Some longer than others, yeah. but... Yes. Um, Yours yes. was longer. Oh, wait, wait, right, yes. Right. Some yes. longer than others. Well, let's debate who shut government <laughs> longer. Was it Tanucci or was it McClure? It was Tanucci. So you guys are uniquely qualified to talk about uh, government dysfunction when it manifests itself in this way. Do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? I don't see either side even budging at all. No, it's been really, really frustrating to watch. And, and I do think that as these stories of personal impact of workers not getting paid and people not getting the services that they need and rely on, um, it, it's heart-wrenching. You'll remember in Minnesota in 2011, the state government shutdown ended because of beer. And so it's going to be something very relatable, Probably I think. Probably started because of beer, too. But let's Maybe, <laughs> yeah. But um, that's when Kurt Zellers was speaker, as you'll recall. Yeah. Maybe it was his <laughs> shutdown. But uh, well, it's going to be something really relatable to, to a, a lot of people that's going to end this. It, there's, it has to end. We have to get back to normal. It's and really I, frustrating. And I think part of the problem is that right now the people most impacted are these government workers. And let's face it, that's a, a small number of us. The vast majority of us are not feeling the impact unless maybe you're in a longer line at the airport, which could become a bigger deal yes. as this continues. Yeah, there are about 30,000 federal government employees in the state of Minnesota, so it's a small number overall. But still, most people know somebody who works for the federal government or are starting to hear the stories of people that are you know, trying to take another job so that they can pay for daycare because they still have to go to work even though they're not getting paid. So I think as that continues to unfold, the pressure builds to get something done. The thing is, you just don't see the leaders in Washington, D.C. It's not getting any better, right? I mean, Nancy Pelosi tells President Trump that he shouldn't do the State of the Union address. President Trump says you can't go on your trip overseas. So they're not acting as partners. They're not acting as people who are trying to work towards a solution right now. Hopefully something will change their minds and get the ball moving sooner rather than later. But it, at this point, it doesn't look good. And to have empathy for any of these workers, just put yourself in their shoes for a minute that all of a sudden tomorrow you don't have a paycheck but you still have all the bills that come in, uh, you know, car repairs, your mortgage, uh, student loan bills. And uh, until people realize that and uh, our government leaders 
appreciate that more. I don't know where this ends. On top of it, just providing really critical services. We're talking about federal prison guards. We're talking about TSA agents. Our security of our nation depends on a healthy functioning government, and I really admire the people who are, are still doing a really good job and, and showing up and serving our country, but they should be getting paid, and we will function better when they do. Because do we really want disgruntled TSA workers uh, who are not getting paid, uh, who perform such a critical function? No, no, I've seen, I saw somebody put on Twitter, the TSA, they said to the TSA agent, do I need to take my laptop out? And the TSA agent said, I don't care, I'm not getting paid. They said, well, you yeah, actually you do have to take your laptop out. But, <laughs> like, that's the kind of thing that's happening. And I think as you get into kind of the busy spring breaks, get travel, some of that, you've got the Super Bowl coming up, some major events. There are going to be some other big impacts that I think also elevate and raise awareness of, of what's happening with it. And right yep. now the state of Minnesota is covering some of those costs. So there's a, a cost to the state that the state bears. Now it's likely, it's pro probable that the federal government will pay Minnesota back for what we're covering yes. right now, but that's still a short-term issue. The Super Bowl just two weeks from now, but a week from now some people will be traveling to Atlanta, and Atlanta's already been having problems mm -hmm. with TSA, so it's going to be fascinating to watch. At the state level, you know, the impact hasn't been huge yet, but they're prepared. But they say at, in the middle of February, uh, the state might not have the money to keep covering these federal bills. How big of a problem could that be? That could be a very big problem, especially as state lawmakers are looking to prepare the, the budget, the state budget for the next biennium. And if, if the forecast is, is downgraded and we're facing more serious pressures financially on the state, um, that's going to have a huge impact on the legislative session as, as the governor and lawmakers try to prepare the budget. Ten seconds left. It's right around the time that Governor Walls has to put his budget out on February 19th, and then you have that budget forecast in late February, early March. So there are a lot of moving pieces, and that does, it makes it hard for legislators in the, in the administration to plan with this much uncertainty on the federal level. All right. Uncertainty is the word. Unpredictability also. Uh, Catherine and Brian, thanks for being here. Well, how do you build a winter carnival castle without ice or snow? Well, we're going to show you coming up. Our lack of snow is forcing St. Paul winter carnival organizers to get creative with a new attraction. We are making some snow, however, from Green Acres uh, snow tubing. They're giving us a big snow blower and we're making some, so we'll have enough to do our sculpture blocks and uh, enough to do the giant slide. It might be hard to picture now, but this scaffolding will be wrapped up in white plastic and turned into the Vulcan Fire Castle. They'll add a big video with a big screen with video of flames and a mini golf course inside a courtyard. This attraction will be at the state fairgrounds. The Winter Carnival kicks off on Thursday, even though it doesn't seem that much like winter. We'd like to see what you have to say about At Issue. Send us your feedback and let us know what issues you'd like to see on the show. Write to at issue at issue.com. Got that? <laughs> I don't. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. And that is all the time we have for now. We'll see you again next week.